Okay, we are back for the third episode, Kente Corner. I'm Bobby Bancroft. I'm here with Casual Hoya, Andrew Geiger. And we've got a little bit of a Christmas in July situation. Last night, Georgetown got the verbal commitment of one of the best local recruits in the D.C. area, Terrence Williams from Gonzaga, first-team All-Met guy, um, all the accolades you can really expect or that you would want from a local kid. He's got them a top 100 kid, a four star that some people might think is going to push towards five after the summer. Andrew, how big of an announcement was that yesterday for Georgetown and for Patrick Ewing? Very exciting on both fronts. I think finally we're able to secure the commitment of a local kid from Gonzaga. Um, It had been a long time, decades before uh, Williams committed that Georgetown actually got a non-walk-on commitment. Um, I think the last ones were, were back in the 90s, Robert Churchwell. And uh, you, what can you say? I mean, it, it, it says a lot about Ewing and the staff's commitment to recruiting locally. They've been on Williams since he was a freshman, um, and it paid off. And if this reopens the Gonzaga pipeline, that's obviously tremendous for Georgetown's recruiting moving forward. And not just Gonzaga, but other local recruits, I mean, they'll take notice. You know, if D.C. kids are looking at Georgetown again, uh, that's only going to bode well for Georgetown's success moving forward. So kudos to Ewing. Uh, Also, kudos to Akbar Wahid, who no one ever talks about as, you know, he's probably the most unheralded of our assistants. But as a Gonzaga, uh, you know, he went to Gonzaga and he obviously put in a lot of time with Williams from from the past two years and um, you know, it's a props to him as well. And hopefully it continues. Yeah. um, If you remember in the first podcast, we went over some of the bigger recruits that Georgetown had been on in the July circuit. And I think we both agreed, which, you know, that can be good and bad, I suppose, if you like to, you know, argue stuff, I guess, and people like to hear that, but I haven't seen Terrence Williams a whole lot. I have talked to some people yesterday about, about his game, but just, I think, just the idea of getting that big local recruit, you know, yes, Jamarco Pickett was a, was a, was a local kid. He had, you know, committed to Ole Miss, but this is, this is a kid going and, you know, they got um, cutest coming in this year from Flint Hill, who was an all met guy with Terrence Williams, but this is sort of different in that it's a WCAC kid, a team takeover kid, which is just as important, I think. And they're getting going into his senior year. So they've got one spot left. And obviously that changes between what, you know, kids go pro or kids leave or whatever. But right now they have one spot left. So they've already, you know, this is, this is a big, a big part of that class. So now you've got other big recruits, you know, looking, okay, well, they had those three kids on the, on the all rookie big East team. They just landed, you know, another, mm-hmm. another big, you know, piece to everything. And um, it just seems really, it just seems really timely for Ewing to do that, you know, not to compare everything, but going back to the last regime, I think it was the third set of recruiting where JT3 had landed Austin Freeman and Chris Wright. And to me, that signaled they got it going. I mean, they obviously had it going anyway, but once you start getting in those big name you know, recruits, because this is the part of the country where every coach comes and tries to get these kids. You know, they beat out Mike Well, uh, Yeah, I think, I think JT3 kind of lost his way there a little bit. He had it going, you're right, locally with with, with Wright and, and Freeman. The right. problem was the style of play, right? So these kids, these local kids who were used to playing sort of an up-tempo game in high school, 
were then plugged into that the Princeton offense, and you know they weren't putting up the big numbers and all that stuff. So the kids in high school were like, wait, you know, why would I really want to go there? You know, um, completely different story with Ewing. Um, you, yeah. Georgetown all of a sudden was playing at the fastest <laughs> fastest tempo in the entire Big East last year. I think kids are taking notice. Even Williams was saying he likes Ewing's system. He thinks he can fit in well there. And, and back to something that you said, I don't think Williams is a a, a program-changing talent. I mean, obviously, looks pretty good in his mixtape, um, but he doesn't jump off the page really in anything. Looks like he does everything pretty well. Um, but it's yeah. not so much that as it is the symbolic win, you know, um, the just the whole thing of getting a team takeover kid, as you mentioned, getting a Gonzaga kid. And really, if Williams can do what he said he can do and start making calls to R.J. Davis, who might be that program-changing kid um, and who would be the perfect person to fill the one open scholarship slot, um, you know, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't think, you know, I'm not trying to put too much pressure on Williams. He's not seen as a one-and-done and that kind of thing. But, yes, just the idea you need to, you know, from day one I was at that press conference doing wanted to take back local recruiting that unfortunately Villanova has been dominating along with other schools, but Villanova particularly because they've been winning national titles. So it starts here. It's a really, it's a really big commitment from, you know, a good kid. And it's going to really, in my mind, that was, if you're, if like I said, if you're looking at all those kids they wanted start as like one of the best players locally is a really big deal for Ewing in year three. And we've really seen him. I mean, you know, he's put five kids on the, on the all rookie big East team already, you know, and, and and and, Der- and Derrickson arguably in the NBA, right? So he's already right. put a forward in the NBA. I think I saw some crazy stat where Georgetown hasn't had a a guard maybe picked in the NBA draft since like 1996, or you know, since like yeah, it's or something, you know, something. Yeah, um, that's crazy. So <laughs> um, hopefully this up tempo offense can uh, cause some of these guards to look our way. Cole Anthony, obviously we were in his final two or three or whatever it was, but that might have been more of a nod to Ewing's relationship with Greg Anthony. Who knows? Um, but R.J. Davis clearly is the focus now of the staff. They put in their time. Every time they've been at one of Williams' games, they've also been at R.J. Davis's games. So uh, hopefully it works. I mean, obviously Georgetown was on him early. He's already been to campus. But since his play has improved over the summer, he's gotten a lot of more attention from some of the blue bloods as well. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, but obviously a big step in the right direction with Terrence Williams. Yeah. And I think just, just to wrap up real quick, what's next for Georgetown recruiting the one spot, although, you know, you never know yeah. what happens, but right now I think that you got to definitely focus on a guard just based on yep. who's sort of coming back and who's leaving. They lose Mosley for sure. They lose um, the kid from central Florida for sure. You know, so you're, you're mm-hmm. definitely, you know, try and get another guard, um, you know, obviously all these, all these things change, but I think that's, you know, obviously going to be the focus and, you know, um, Williams obviously is out there recruiting himself and, you know, just so crazy how these recruiting thing goes, you know, if, if you read the Washington post article by Samantha Pell, basically it sounded like, um, it sounded like Keith Stevens had to talk him into taking the visit to Georgetown. So he, he almost right. didn't visit. Then he goes, he stays with McClung. He loves it. All the stuff. Next thing you know, Georgetown's got one of their bigger recruits in a while. All good, right? I mean, you know, there's a big sense of optimism around the program. I, certainly more so 
this end of July, early August than in years past. Um, so let's keep it rolling. Season is a short, what, three months away at this point. It is. It is just three months away. So anyway, so this weekend I did go to Kenner. Nothing really a report other than Georgetown. Georgetown had some sort of un- event that I wasn't aware of. I was actually with Rich Sabotkin again, which is yeah. fun to sit there and watch Kenner League with uh, with uh, Rich. But there was some sort of basketball alumni event, and Rich introduced me to a couple guys. Um, I've talked to Irvin Church a bunch. He's always at games. Um, Jaron Jaron Jackson was there. Really nice guy. I got to talk to him for a little bit. Um, you know, so I think that uh, it was a pretty good weekend for Georgetown. Um, so that being said, there was yeah. a lot. And actually, as 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 Rich and I were leaving, there was a guy that was wanted to talk to us about the basketball tournament. And he talked about how terrible it was to be sitting at the tombs watching Beheim's army. Now, Beheim's army eventually lost, so that's not terrible. But you know, last year Georgetown had a team for the first time, and mm-hmm. they didn't have a team for the second time. Can we talk a little bit about that and just sort of? Where do you think the chances are of having a team again, or how challenging is it to put that together? Yeah. First, real quick on that little basketball reunion that happened on campus. I'm not sure why that wasn't publicized a little bit more. I think if there was, you know, some announcement of it, it could have been a really big deal. I mean, Jaron Jackson himself alone really coming back to campus after what was perceived to be some sort of fallout with the Thompsons and whatever, and Georgetown was never really in the mix with his son and, and all that stuff. That That's a big deal. Um, he he, and he, he was on Eshrick's staff when Eshrick got yeah. fired. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's just a lot there's just a lot there, and a lot of players showed up, and I'm just not sure why it wasn't more of a big deal. I'm sure we could have publicized it, gotten more eyeballs about it. Um, but nonetheless, uh, the basketball tournament. So last yeah. year we had, we had Jack Attack. Um, yep. I happen to know one of the organizers of the, the whole shebang, um, and we've been working for, for years behind the scenes to try to get a Georgetown team. You know, back when Mex was the uh, sports info director, he thought it was a great idea. He tried to plant some seeds in some of the, uh, the alums of the program that were still in the area. Everyone's kind of gung-ho. The problem really became getting everyone to commit to that time frame of the tournament which often required them to leave whatever foreign team they were playing for at the time, like some guys in Europe or New Zealand or wherever they were. Finally, yeah. finally, Patrick Ewing Jr., um, who was great, he took it upon himself to kind of get a team together. And last year he was able to get the commitments of – it was it was a decent roster on its face when it was first announced. The um, initial roster was really good. Yeah, yeah. Everyone got real excited. They're like, wow, we could actually win I did. this thing. Yeah. Um, there were T-shirts that were made with the Jack Attack logo, which was really good. A lot of, the, a lot of people were excited about it. Um, then, like right before can our I, first game, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, can I read you the names of the, of the guys that played in the box score? Yeah, do it. So it was DSR and Freeman, pretty good backcourt. Mm-hmm. Hayes, center, okay. Aaron Bowen started and Trey Dickerson. And then there was two guys that did not go to Georgetown. I have never heard of in my life. PJ, somebody, he actually right. had eight assists and Mike Ramey. And he actually played pretty well, but the initial roster had, um, had Chris Wright, who'd played multiple throwback tournament or um, the basketball tournament. Um, Jarrell Benjamin. There was a lot of different guys. Um, Greg Winnington, Rodney Pryor, 
Mm-hmm. Bowman, who I thought was a little bit old for that, but that was pretty cool to see his name pop up on that on that list. But the team was way different, and I thought they had a chance to make a run. Yeah, the, the initial team when the rosters came out was loaded and would have been one of the more intriguing teams. I, I thought it was a bad idea for the tournament to, you know, they played that like Big East pod where I think we yeah. faced off against like the Seton Hall team and there was like a Marquette team, whatever it was. I thought that was kind of silly because what it automatically did from the get-go was eliminate two teams that would have had more followings than or a bigger following than one of these garbage other teams that they have, you yeah. know, that, that may have advanced. Um, so I think they got rid of all that for this year. The problem is there's no Georgetown team. <laughs> I think the reason was, and Tyler Adams, who was the, the coach of the squad, um, I've had some conversations with him as well. And it was really a logistical shit show. Yes, by the way, we can curse on Kenty Corner. Um, yeah. it's kind of logistical. Yeah, it was a logistical shit show getting all the players together to commit to the time frame. And really, I don't think they even had an inkling of who was going to show up on the very day of the game. <laughs> like, you know, and that's why you had those two random dudes who, you know, were essentially fill-ins at the last minute. Um, I know it was frustrating for, for Tyler. I know it was frustrating for DSR, who really took a leadership role um, in trying to secure the players to come. My understanding, though, in sharing some texts back and forth with, with Tyler Adams is that next season, next summer, they're going to try again. Um, and if they start earlier in, in trying to secure commitments, um, hopefully we'll get Jack Attack back on the floor. Now – Sorry, this is a stupid question, but is this something where the school funds it, or do they do they rely on boosters and alumni? Like, how does it sort of work where they get all these guys? You know, I think I think the games last year were, were they in like Marquette or Butler or something. Yeah, the the tournament itself uh, provides some funding to cover okay. you know travel and partial lodging or whatever. But um, Ewing Junior tried to raise some funds and I think he was successful among some of the, the boosters of the program uh, for okay. that initial Jack attack squad. Yeah. Now I will say it is really awesome that Bayheim's army keeps losing because it is <laughs> no more pathetic team in the entire tournament's history than that team. I mean, every year. And again, I know because the, one of the organizers is, is a buddy of mine. Like they want that team to advance to the final four or whatever every year because of the way those fans who have nothing better to do will actually travel to those games. And every year they fail miserably. <laughs> well, just... wa- watching the end of it, I, I actually turned it on right as uh, I think it was the city of brotherly love beat them and right. turned it on. And it was just, a, I, don't, I don't know where the games were. I'm guessing they were somewhere in New York, but it was just a sea of orange and yep. It was just nice to see everyone's summer ruined. I'm sure it was already a bad summer to begin with, but it was nice to see summer continue to get worse up there. Um, yeah, and I think Jim Beheim himself was there. I mean, watching his team of ex-convict alums, you know, playing and losing, <laughs> just great, great. Yeah, but um, so, so sorry, so sorry, Eric Devendorf. Try again next year. It is really hard to watch to watch him. It that's a particularly painful part of the whole process, which is why it would be great. And, you know, there was, you know, before, so Freeman played this year with the Mason team. He actually did really well, probably didn't maybe play enough. He played much better this weekend than he did um, last year for Jack Attack. But in the past, I know that Chris Wright, Freeman, and I think Clark all teamed up on like a DMV Finest team. 
Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I think Julian Vaughn might have been on that team either. So that was sort of like a Georgetown light. Um, but it was it was definitely exciting last year to to see that they finally had one. Um, I remember watching it on, I think it was on ESPN Plus or something. But, you know, it'd definitely be great. And, you know, just looking at who they could put on a team, as you said, I don't know all the schedules of all the guys that play overseas, but Georgetown's got a lot of really good players out there that could form, you know, a pretty, a pretty good team. I mean, we sort of never hear about LJPK anymore. I don't know. I, I know. I think I think Starks is still playing in New Zealand or Australia. Yeah, I think I think I think LJ Peak was supposed to be on like Team CP3 or something this year, and I don't know if okay. he ever played and or ever played or again he like signed with another team that you know so his schedule wouldn't allow it. Um, but yeah, why don't you give me like your ideal starting five? So it's got to be this decade. I'm not even though I know you know there were some players in the Mason team that have played in the 06 Final Four. It seems like it's going pretty deep, I mean, it, you know, but so it's 2010 to present. And based on the guys that I know are still playing, I think you got to definitely go. DSR and right. I think I, 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 that, may, that, that might be hard to guard. Okay. Let me, let me get the starting five of, of right. And Freeman. I'm going to throw. Pryor in there, Winnington, and I'm not sure if Sims would play an event like this, but I think having Sims would be would be great. And then you throw in, I'm not really sure what Starks is up to, but I want I kind of want to throw him in there. Yeah, I, I yeah, I mean I would go, I mean for let's I mean just for a roster I'll throw it out there. I would go right Starks, Peak, Pryor. Um, Sims definitely Hopkins. I would bring Roy Hibbert out there. I mean, I don't know what Big Roy's doing. I mean, his that's kind of that that's kind of the wild card. His yeah. game that didn't translate to the the NBA would certainly yeah, <laughs> certainly do some damage to the tournament. Also, I think Greg Monroe would now qualify um, now that he's in Europe. Um, you know, he's not. He doesn't currently have an NBA really contract. Inter- yeah. yeah, really interesting move. Yeah, you're right. I I forgot about Peak. I mean, that's sort of the point. There's so many guys out yeah. there. That I feel yeah. like this is a no-brainer. That's without even I, mentioning I, the human highlight reel, Aaron Bowen. Um, you know, there's honestly, just, there's... I would. I don't know how they would do it, but I'd even if, however, they could get Iverson associated with it, uh, coach, whatever. When he was in that big three nonsense a couple of years ago, I mean, they almost like sold out Madison Square Garden. People like just to, just to see him do essentially nothing. Um, Iver, yeah. Who knows? Maybe Matumbo would like to have a role. Patrick Ewing Jr. I mean, there, there's so many possibilities that, uh, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to what they can put together next summer. I just hope that it doesn't end up like it did last summer. Yeah. Speaking of summer, it's almost time for Georgetown to go to the Bahamas. Do you have your uh, your flight and your uh, itinerary ready? I, I will not be going to the Bahamas, unfortunately, though uh, we can watch the games, which is nice, right? We've got that flow sports thing. Um, who knows what that is, but we can stream the games. I think you can log in, get an account, pay some small sum, and be able to watch all of Georgetown's games uh, during that week in August. And we'll talk more about this uh, during next week's podcast. Yeah, which is which is a huge step up from, I think, when they were in Italy. I think they were on Periscope. I'm not even sure if that's a thing anymore. So. Dude, that was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it was like It was like mechs holding up like a an iphone on periscope for like three minutes at a time 
trying to get a glimpse of like what Isaac Copeland looked like uh, playing in Italy. It was a disaster. Right. Well, I don't know if we're on all, you know, I know we're going to tweet out the link and I appreciate everyone that's been listening. We've got a really good following. It's been really cool so far, even just in three episodes. It's going to be up on iTunes soon, on the Google Play, on Spotify, places where most people are used to getting podcasts. It's not up already. It's going to be up shortly. Um, Again, Andrew is on Casual Hoya. He's great at Twitter. He's one of the best. I'm at Bobby Bancroft, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right, man. Later. See you. Bye. Yeah.